Greetings, most excellent Theophilus. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My head hurts, and I'm tired. I'm really tired of people, of people, of people misunderstanding the Bible. Alright, so today we'll be reviewing alternative media. Um... Just set so I can give some examples of some of the things people try to argue when they're trying to dispute Jesus being God. I don't know how loud this is going to come out. I did notice in the chat that someone mentioned the Johannine comma. So first off, Johannine. Sir, you, you claim to understand Hebrew. You claim to under... you kind of pretended to understand Greek. Yohanan. Yohan. Yohanan. There's no J when either of the testaments were written. <laughs> that irks me to my core. Just right off the bat. Okay. Is that First John 5 7? Uh, Ooh, it's the one where. where... Hang on. Oh, yeah, oh, that, right, right, right. Uh, <laughs> there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, so the Word, actually... the Spirit. These three are one. Um, that's an easy one. That is a medieval invention. Um, there are zero manuscripts um, from before the medieval period that have that. Um, that literally just appears in a, a manuscript um, in the medieval ages, some like eight, nine hundred years after... So, uh, basically, like, no, no modern Bible includes that verse, because every scholar has agreed that verse was never there. Yeah, yes and no. Uh, and Bibles do include them, just in the footnotes. Um, uh, let me read it, just so you know what we're talking about. So, 1 John 5, 7, um, reads in the proper text, uh, For there are three that testify. The spirit and the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. Uh, through, I would say, likely the Vulgate, because most of the ver a lot of the variants in Greek follow more of the Latin grammar. Um, um, because in Greek it should have definite articles. Um, reads, um... There are three that testify in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. And there are three that testify on the earth, the Spirit, that, 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 that. So, basically, verse 8. Now, it should be noted that the Book of Mormon has this passage. This is not an inherently Trinitarian sealing passage. Um, the Book of Mormon has it. And the Book of Mormon is... Mormonism, in, in its fullest realization by Joseph Smith, is polytheism. Infinite polyism. Polytheism. It's not just that there's a many gods, it's that there's an infinite number and regression of gods. Um, and yet they mesh with that verse. Um, so it's a bit of a, bit of a fluffy verse that doesn't really have that much weight. In the eye of the reader. Uh, oneness Pentecostals take this verse. Uh, now, do I think this verse was added as some sort of strange conspiracy to 
force the Trinity into Christianity. No, I, I think what happened was some Latin uh, scribe made a little, a little homily, a little commentary, and the copier after them, it found its way into the main body of text, the way variants function uh, like that, have that happen. But let's see what they're going to say to develop on this. Oh, that's another one that came about in the Middle Ages. I was going to say, you know, I, that one still doesn't... Uh, I uh, tell you... See, I came about in the Middle Ages. So, there is no record of it before... Um, in, in the first millennia um, AD. There is no record of it in Greek. Um... Of course, the further back you go, the harder it is to actually have documents be preserved. So the Latin, I believe it came from the Latin, that may stray back earlier. Um, it's it's hard to really say, um, and I, I always I I always want to caution people. I don't, but I would like to caution people not to talk in a way where you're. Um, if you're, unless you are, like, completely knowledgeable about something, do not act like it. Uh, because one, it is very pretentious. Um, and two, you're going to make a fool of yourself. Um, I try to caution my words with, to the best of my knowledge, X. Um, so, anyways. What I could go with that one, because uh, here's why. Again, you, you have the father, right? Uh, well, the word is the Torah. It's not. It's not. No, the Torah. Gosh, not this again. The the logos. Is it even the word in this passage? Um. It it it's not. It's the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um. In the variant. Oh no. Oh, I guess it is the... Wait, the word? Hmm. Okay, fair. It's the word, but of course the word is the sun. <laughs> um, not the Torah. Jesus is not literally the physical Torah. There's no good reason to connect Lagos with Torah. I've been over this before when I was responding to them last. Um... I th John, I think, is clearly using Logos in John 1 to make direct parallel to the word of the Lord, the Daber Yahweh, who comes to the many prophets in the Old Testament, uh, which is not merely an agent of Yahweh, but I think is Yahweh himself, is God himself, uh, God the Son. Uh, because no one has seen God at any time, as John 1.18 says, but the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Which, I think, in the correct version of that text. There's a textual variant in John 1.18. Uh, Monogenes Theos, the unique God, rather than Monogenes Huios, the unique son. Uh, but I digress. I just cringe when he says that... If you have to... If John 1.1, John according to... For a refresher, John 1.1, according to the logic of alternate media, is um, in the beginning... But we have to, we have to translate in the beginning... Because um, uh, Enarche is actually John referencing a Bereshit, Genesis 1 1. 
That's the word for in beginning. But because of the form of that, um, Brad's argument is that should actually be with the Torah. Um, uh, because uh, reshit apparently means uh, berith, uh, which is actually the Hebrew word for covenant, berith. Um, berith ba'al, a covenant with your bales. Um, you know, um, you actually see that uh, reading through the Old Testament, like they, they called the place um, something berith. That means, you know, there's the covenant made there. But so according to them, John 1 1 reads, with the Torah was the Logos, but now, according to the uh, Brad and Seamus translation, um, it's with the Torah, was the Torah, and the Torah was with God, and the Torah was God. But if the Torah is God, <laughs> then that means we should actually translate the sentence in the beginning, uh, sorry, with Torah was the Torah, and the Torah was with the Torah, and the Torah was Torah. What a lovely bunch of nothing uh, that they've that the logical conclusion of how they want to translate things goes. But uh, we shall continue. It's not God. The... Oh, but it is God, according to John 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, uh, and the word was God, uh, because of how grammar, the grammar of Greek to English translates that aspect, right? So we already understand from the last one that we did, talking about John 1, uh, that the word is the Torah here, which is God's, uh, his, his, the essence of his nature, okay? But not, not a one-to-one -one direct with himself. Uh, and the, the essence of his nature is Torah. So, but here's the thing, is that the Torah, Jesus clearly says, uh, something different from the Torah. He gives a different result on how to deal with the reason for divorce. He says, Moses gave you uh, the, the law for divorce for the hardness of your hearts, because they're coming out of Egypt. And he then gives um, his explanation of the, the parameter of divorce, which is unfaithfulness. Um... Uh, so one, Jesus modifies the Torah, and two, if that's the essence of God's nature, then why does Yahweh revealing the Torah and Yahweh, uh, and and <laughs> why does the Torah made flesh, according to John one eighteen, saying something different than the Torah that you can find as the first five books of the Tanakh, uh, the Jewish Bible? So yeah, let's see what else. And then the Holy Spirit, which we just described as being like a force of the will. The Holy Spirit being a force, apparently they're Jehovah's Witnesses too, um, is not supported. At the very least, you cannot argue it while accepting what the New Testament has to say about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is personified, is personified as a he. Jesus says, um, when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes. And that's who the Holy Spirit is, the Spirit of Truth. If you look at that section in John um, John 16 or John, John 14 and 16 are where he talks about giving the Holy Spirit. Um, actually, let me read it. So verse 16, he says, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. 
uh, Muslims like to think that this, <laughs> the Paracletos here, is Muhammad, which doesn't make sense because Muhammad isn't with us forever. Um, clearly not in the way Jesus is, because if you want to say, oh, but we have his teachings to this very day, well, we have Jesus' teachings to this very day. Uh, but Jesus is currently at the right hand of the Father. Um, this is not as Brad said. Spirit, which we just described as being like a force of the will. Uh, Jesus described the Holy Spirit not as a force of the will, but as another helper that he may be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth, verse 17. The Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Um, the rest of this doesn't talk about that specifically. Uh, it doesn't come back up until uh, 16. He says in ver 16 verse 7, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Does it sound like a force? Does it sound like the will of God? Well, in a sense, but like he's merely talking about this uh, esoteric idea of God's will, of God's force and influence. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteous judgment, verse 8. 9. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. And concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he... The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and, and will disclose it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he takes of mine and will disclose it to you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's a force. And he says, he, he says the same things of the Holy Spirit that he says of his own relationship with the Father, that he is not doing anything of his own, but only what is from the Father. The Holy Spirit doesn't do anything of his own, but only what is of Christ is of the Father. Um, and there's other places in, in Acts with Annas and Sapphira, when they try to cheat the church, Peter says, why have you lied? To the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to man, but to God. To lie to, first off, you can lie to the Holy Spirit. You, according to Paul, you can grieve the Holy Spirit. He writes that we must not grieve the Holy Spirit. Um, a force is impartial. A force doesn't have feelings. Um, a person does. You, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can lie to it. And in fact, the Holy Spirit is identified as God. And it just, it annoys me when, when there's people who make mistakes like this and, and claims like this that are so easily disputed and shown to be just false on the face of scripture, because I'll bet, I'll bet that these guys actually have a better uh, 
time allocate their time better to read the Bible than I do. These people people probably give themselves more time on their hands to be in the Word. And I can see the error of their conclusions. I can show the error of their conclusions from Scripture. And they can't. Um, this this is this is why I'm not impressed just because someone has marks of academia plastered to their wall. Um, because what, what a little tattooed piece of a dead tree says pales in comparison to what you can actually prove that you know. Um, so the barometer of whether or not someone knows what they're talking about is not what's uh, hammered to their wall, uh, but what <laughs> what's in their brain. So let's continue. It's how okay, God not a personhood. So the only personhood that's... Right. The only personhood that's actually mentioned in this verse is the Father. Except the Holy Spirit clearly has personhood. Uh, in the passages from John I just talked about, uh, in in Paul, uh, in, in, in Paul, uh, the Word has personhood. Hello? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he was with him in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Apart from him nothing was made that has been made. Um, what's reading on from there? Um, in him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Um, verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's clearly Jesus. It's clearly a person, a personhood. Uh, the Daber Yahweh that came to all the prophets. There wasn't personhood in that. I, I, I'm sorry, you're, you're missing what the Bible has to say, Brad and Seamus. So, uh, you know, even, even if, I'll be willing to grant that, even if, it's, even if it came up in the Middle Ages, I still... Wait, uh, did he just question when the variant came up? I, when the variant came up is not very relevant to this. I have no problem with this verse. This verse doesn't reek of Trinitarian. Yeah, definitely, it reeks of it to me in that, like, it, it is obviously... It, it can be Trinitarian. It does. It's it's unfortunately not written in a way where it forces that. This is true. Added by uh, some scribe who is heavily Trinitarian um, and felt the need to put it in there. I, Whenever people are talking about textual variation, I don't get why they have to assume there's an ulterior motive. Uh, why can't this just be someone's sermon notes that made it into the definitive manuscript? Um, you know, um, right. And, uh, you know, once again, I, our biggest thing is that we cannot stress enough is that one, and we'll make a separate episode on this, uh, on the history of the development of the Trinity. There will be a whole, a whole nother episode on, on that entire yes. evolutionary process. Um, but the long and short of it is it. It does not exist in the form that we have it today until about 385, right? Everyone says Council of Nicaea. Not so. The Council of Nicaea, the first one, uh, it forgot the Holy Spirit. Uh, uh, excuse me? Um, well, I mean, first off, the, the, the Council of Nicaea's focus wasn't the Holy Spirit. It was, def it was, a, it was uh, refuting Arianism which was saying that there was a time when the sun was not. 
Um, but we also have from the second century, uh, from the first apology of Justin Martyr, chapter six. Um, but both him, meaning the referring to the father, and the son, um, and the prophetic spirit, we worship and adore. Um, there's, there's, there's that. Uh, we have the New Testament. I, okay. We don't have it as we have today. What's the teaching of the Trinity today? There is one God. There's one being of God who has revealed himself as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being. Three persons, one essence. Um, so what do we have in the Bible throughout both Testaments? Shema. Shema Yisrael, Yahweh Eloheinu, Yahweh Echad. That's Deuteronomy 6.4. Hero Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. The, the Bible hammers over and over again that there is only one God. Okay? That's half of what we need for the doctrine of the Trinity. The other half. The Father is identified as God. I, we shouldn't even have to argue about that. We should just accept that. I should, I should just say we know the Father is God. Jesus Christ is identified as God. Um, he's called Yahweh. Uh, in each test, in each gospel account, um, he's uh, Paul calls him the above all things God in Romans nine five, um, the the one being above all things God. Um, he's he's in equality with the Father Philippians two six, uh, which there's only one thing that can be in equality with the Father. Uh, Jesus says to the Father to restore him to the glory he had with the Father before the world began. Yahweh says he shares his glory with no one. Uh, so this cannot, so Jesus cannot be a different being from God uh, to share in his glory. Uh, and the Holy Spirit is clearly identified as God uh, in, in, in Acts. Um, in, in the early church after, continued on with these associations... Um, I, you're being vested by a guy who never did his homework. I like, like, what's missing? The hypostatic union. I already referenced the passage that talks about the hypostatic union. Philippians, Philippians two. Um, being in the very form of God, he humbled himself to the form of man. To paraphrase it. So Jesus having the divine nature adds on to himself the human nature, and the two don't intermingle. Uh, that, that's actually part of my refutation of Catholic commun of Catholic uh, transmutation, uh, Eucharist. It doesn't make sense because you're giving attributes of the divine to the human nature of Christ. You're saying that the mortal human body of Christ that's not omnipresent is omnipresent in the mass and same with his blood and, and i think that that breaks proper trinitarian comprehension um but I, I i digress um so they had a second council at nicaea 40 years later and then they included the holy spirit i i, I think they might just be going solely off the creeds <laughs> Um, or something. We're we're gonna take a look right now at the uh, the Nicene Creed. As soon as I find an example of it that I can actually look at. So from Nicaea, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, Maker of all things visible and invisible, 
and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered and on the third day rose again and ascended to heaven. From thence he shall come and judge the quick and the dead and the Holy Ghost. Oh, they didn't touch on the Holy Ghost. I'm sorry, it's right there. <laughs> or the, the, the Holy Spirit. It, it's right. It's right there. We, we believe in one God. Father, the Son, and after an, a lengthy explanation of who the Son is, because that's what Nicaea was about, was defending against Arianism, um, the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, they do touch on it. So the Athanasian Creed, that came about at the same time, uh, you know, Athanasius Contra Munda, because Nicaea, Nicaea did not fix the problem. Uh, as Athanasius said, the world woke up and found themselves Arian. Uh, it was Athanasius who said uh, in, in the creed um, that we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity, neither blending their persons nor dividing their essence. For the person of the Father is a distinct person, and the person of the Son is another, and that of the Holy Spirit still another. But the divinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is one, their glory equal, their majesty co-eternal. Um, you know, it, it, it goes on. It goes on. It, it didn't take that long. Um, they're, they're trying to paint this, this sort of developmental picture. I'm not realizing that first off, the councils were reactionary. Um, a, a, an, an unorthodoxy arose. Uh, Arius um, came up with his idea and spread it, and it became a controversy. There was a debate about it. Um, so on and so forth. So it, it, they're, they're trying to paint it disingenuously. That became... The... Yeah, I... I was going to say, I think the, the two are, at least as far as I know, the two are collectively referred to as the Constantinopolitan Council of Nicaea. The one wasn't even in Nicaea. It was, yep. it was Constantinople is where the that's, second that's council right. took yeah. place. And uh, so it was. It, it, and it really, when you read the history, cool. They're not. They're, they weren't actually talking about Second Nicaea. <clears throat> I thought that Seamus was the researcher, or do I? Or do I misremember? One of them's the more the researcher, and the other's more the the brain, the the face of the operation. Of it, it's like, oops, we totally forgot about the Holy Spirit. Crap. They that shows you didn't even read it. Because it mentions the Holy Spirit. I... I like... Like... <laughs> you, you laugh. You're misrepresenting it. Right. And so they had to go back and revise it. We made Jesus it. God. We just forgot and about that even Holy Spirit. Then, we're talk I... Either they're making a very specific form of argument off of the actual passage... Uh, or they've just missed that it does mention the Holy Spirit. Fucking 385. Even then, the version of the Trinity that we have today 
the one that every evangelical uses to this day is not the Nicene Creed. You're right, Seamus. I don't use the Nicene Creed when I'm defining the Trinity uh, because I have dealt with Catholics um, and Muslims. I prefer to define the Trinity from Scripture alone uh, because sola scriptura is not only vital um, to correct understanding, and that's the reason. That's one of the reasons there are so many denominations, is that there are people who. This is what sola scriptura, this is what holding to scripture alone to define doctrine, that defends against tradition. What happens when you have tradition, there are good, there's good tradition. Don't get me wrong. And everyone has a tradition. I have a tradition. But when you will not bring your tradition in submission to the authority of the word of God, all scripture is God breathed. All scripture is the word of God you're going to run, you're going to come into some malunderstanding. Either it's a minor malunderstanding uh, that's not that's not heretical, uh, like thinking you should baptize your babies, <laughs> or you can come into such grievous error that you think that Jesus isn't God. Uh, let's continue. Constantinople. It's from Augustine of Hippo at 430 A.D. So, an, uh, almost another hundred years before we have the, the modern-day version of the Trinity as we have it. No, because I, I can define it from the, the Bible. Actually, forcing myself to define it from the Bible has helped me understand it and explain, like, understand to grasp it in, in, I think, a better way, honestly. Um, and it's entirely by, and, and if you've seen us on our show, we, our last episode that we did with the church split, we talked about Augustine and Hippo. Augustine didn't know a single word of Greek or Hebrew. And he... uh, that's highly questionable. Um, I don't know enough. I don't remember enough of my studies off the top of my head to really counter that accurately. Uh, but um, to say he knew nothing of it, uh, uh... he relied entirely on Latin texts. Working with a really bad translation. Uh, most people did rely on the, the Vulgate, because the Vulgate, uh, once Jerome put it out, it, it became the norm the norm to use, um, as Latin became the academic language of the world. <clears throat> um, Which is how he came up with the doctrine of original sin. No! <laughs> what? 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 Working with a really bad translation, which is how he came up with the doctrine of original sin, which never existed in the church prior to him. <clears throat> hmm. Um. Huh. Even though the. So, this is part of why. Uh, two types of baptism arose. Um, infant baptism and being baptized on your deathbed because of the doctrine of original sin uh, that I cropped up around the time of... Because Tertullian commented on it, I believe. It was, it was uh, Tertullian. Um, church history. <clears throat> um, yeah, Tertullian... Um, 
Well, th thank you, Google, for not saying what era he lived in on your first page. Uh, Tertullian died in 220 AD. Um, I believe he's the first place where he makes mention of the controversy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, meaning, and he, meaning, if, if Augustine comes in the 500s and Tertullian's talking about, um, the, so the whole, the whole reason it came about was the idea, um, of the, the shift in the idea of sin, uh, and, and what uh, sin in relation to baptism, um, you're, you're born with a sinful nature, uh, so wash that away, uh, because, Infant mortality was so high, but it was understood that you had to have your sins washed away in order to be saved. It's, it's problematic, um, the way they understood it. So how do babies have sin? Um, and of course, it's, it's biblical. It's part of the Tanakh. Uh, 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 David writes, the wicked go astray from the mother's womb. Um, so... Like Romans 5. <laughs> Romans 5 just talks about the idea of original sin. The idea of original sin um, is Adam and Eve sinned. And humanity is fallen. We have a fallen human nature. We have an inescapable proclivity to sin. Everyone has the potential to sin and everybody does sin. Because of the fallen nature. Uh it didn't start with Augustine. It didn't. Uh, so, Augustine is one of my least favorite people because he was incredibly influential and he basically used his power politically <laughs> okay. to get whatever he wanted doctrinally into the, into the early church. Really? Uh, what, what did he get in there? What did, what did he... <laughs> And to this day, most Christians believe in what he created and what he wrote. Really? That's fascinating because um, properly, uh, Augustine was basically a proto-Calvinist, I would say. Um, it, it's from the Augustinian tradition that Martin Luther and uh, um, John Calvin arose. Um, <clears throat> and uh, Augustine had very particular views on predestination and God's grace. Um that honestly, a lot of Christians today are not very Augustinian in their views on these things. So that's, that's an interesting observation. Uh, again, work, he was not a scholar, not working with any Greek or Hebrew. Yeah. He was a scholar. <laughs> he, just didn't, he just didn't scowl with the languages you prefer. Didn't have it, didn't know it, and he had a botched translation. What's this translation? script that was um, not good enough to even, you know, uh, help him get the correct doctrine on his own. I So because you disagree with uh, Augustine, his version of the Vulgate was wrong? Like, do, do you read Latin? You don't read Greek, so at least not right. Um, and, uh, um, 
But the Vulgate is not a bad translation. Um, I don't, I don't understand this this train of thought of dialogue in in these circles. Um, so it it's interesting. Augustine of Hippo is an interesting figure. I don't really like him. Uh, I had to read a lot about him in, in college, um, only to find that I mean he's human. He was doing his best. It's not like I'm saying he did everything on purpose. Ah, um, uh, you'll you'll give grace for for him, but not whoever created the commune Johann, uh, Kama Johanna. But, yeah. Uh, so, the, the trinity that we have today is from 430 AD. No. The trinity we have today is from yesterday, today, forever um, documented in the Bible. Actually. Not not even from 385 or, or, three, or 325. Um and especially not 395, or excuse me, 195, when we have... Oh, but it is. ...modalism, uh, and then 70 to 85, docetism. Modalism. Do- docet? Docetism. Um, I think it just confuses us too, because I think docetism was a form of modalism. Um, um, you know, all the different ones that kind of just... Eventually, they get called heresies by the Catholic Church. Uh, well, they were called heresies when they came about, and they contradict Scripture. So, but uh, yeah, long long story short, not his not a historical uh, doctrine. Definitely not something. It it is a historical doctrine, though. The disciples believed. Definitely not something they taught. Uh, it's yeah, clearly they believed it because they taught it. Paul very clearly taught the deity of Christ. John clearly taught the deity of Christ. Uh, etc. ad nauseum. Um, and um, it's a it is a progressive revelation, as most uh, evangelicals will will readily admit um, that it was a revelation that kind of happened progressively. Uh, the the exact fullness of it, certainly. But Jews were not strict Unitarians until the split, uh, until the hard split between Judaism and Christianity. Um, as a result of the destruction of Jerusalem. Um, that's when there was a hardline split and a hardline theology change in Judaism to strict Unitarian monotheism. Um, uh, these guys should really read the article Jewishness in the Trinity uh, by JewsForJesus.com. Uh, right. Um, so, I... I... I'm not sure how everyone feels about progressive revelation. I'm not about it, not really. Uh, I think Judaism at the time that Yeshua appears uh, was basically ready to go, set and, and, and good to go, minus the things that Yeshua had particular problems with. Yeah, like the Oral Torah. That's what he had problems with, the Oral Torah, which you readily want to support, which has interesting parallels to Catholicism. Um corrected those things, and it was supposed to go from there. Uh, yeah, okay. Alright, let's let's check out their video. I'll read this one. Let's check out their video on... Uh, let me let me read the passage. Well, no, nah, I'll, I'll do it reactionarily, probably. Um, uh, virtually every Bible has it rendered the same way. Because that's how the Greek renders... Wait, why? I'm confused. So... Hmm. He says virtually every Bible has it rendered the same way. I'm not sure if he's saying that as a criticism. 
Uh, but it, it renders it... So we're, we're talking about... Okay, I'm going to read it. I'm sorry. I should have. Because it'll make what I'm trying to say right now make more sense. And we're talking about John chapter 20, uh, verse 28. Um, Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Pretty much every Bible will say that. Uh, because the, you know, the Greek... Um, the Lord of me and the God of me. It's, it's just, it's literally rendered how the Greek is. Uh, I, I've yet to hear a translation that didn't see fit to just give a word for word rendering because it's very clear what John is communicating. Paul, uh, Paul, Paul. <laughs> Timothy says to Jesus, to him, calls him my Lord and my God, thus calling Jesus his God. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Yeshua, and then the next verse, Yeshua said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. And then, yeah. So that, that, that's, I've heard this one a bunch used uh, on me tons of times. So this one should be fun. This one will take a little bit longer to go through. Yeah. Uh, I think what's worth noting here, now again, the the discrepancies between the Greek manuscripts and what we know of the Hebrew manuscripts of, of the Tanakh are something that really can't be compared when we're reading the English language, but... I have no clue how that's relevant. The discrepancies... What, what, what did he call it? Are something that... What, what did he call it? What we know of the Hebrew manuscripts... The discrepancies between the Greek manuscripts and what we know of the Hebrew manuscripts of, of the Tanakh. The discrepancies. Does he mean like... I'm very curious what he means by that. Are something that really can't be compared when we're reading the English language, but... I don't... For what it's worth, um, what we read in English, if we were to read this same phrase in the Tanakh, it's noteworthy that the only words used here are would have been Adonai and Elohim. That's cool. Um, the New Testament was never written in Hebrew. <laughs> originally. It was originally in Greek. Um, yeah, the Hebrew words for Lord is Adonai, my Lord. Um, Elo, Elo, it would be more like Elohim, Elohimi, my God. Um, okay, this is still how you would refer to God. Um, you don't, you don't normally call people in the Old Testament. You know who's called, uh, my God, God, unless you're a pagan in the Old Testament. Neither of which are directly con neither of which directly connote deity, which we discussed. Elohim doesn't denote the the word for God. Uh, he's he's also um, it it could easily be Adonai Adonai um, uh, uh, Weilai, um, uh, my Lord and my God. Uh, because Eli means my God in the singular. Elijah, my God is Yahweh. Um, so, 
that score one conjugation. We don't we don't actually know how this would have been rendered in Hebrew, uh, because John wrote to a Greek speaking audience, um, and so he didn't write it in Hebrew. The last time around, um, because uh, Adonai or Adoni uh, is master. Or, or Lord in the sense of, like, we understand an English Lord. Uh, and then Elohim also is, uh, you know, ruler, judge, authority. Rarely used that way. Very rarely used that way. Um, and the New Testament is very clear about how, is very strict in how it uses its language. Um, the only thing other than God that's referred to as Theos, and other than Jesus. I think they're trying to grant that Jesus is being called Theos here, is being called God. Uh, I think that I think that their their counter is is just, well, you know, God doesn't have to mean God. Uh, but the only other place in the New Testament where something's called God, when it's not actually God, um, other than when Paul Paul refers to the false gods of the world. Uh, Satan is referred to as the Theos of this world, um, but it's obvious that he's not the one true God when it says that. Uh, let's continue. It's it's a figure of authority. It's it it doesn't directly connote uh, any deistic meaning. But in the Gospel of John, it it should. The whole thrust of the Gospel of John is to assert that Jesus is God. Uh, so to say that this passage isn't meant to identify. Jesus, to, to have this passage be calling Jesus God and for it to not mean that Jesus is God in the way that John 1 1 is clearly explaining that he is. This is another thing that happens is people tend to want to make out the biblical authors to be in. Um, that they're inconsistent with themselves and are thus foolish because they're inconsistent with themselves. Um. So, I, did John just not get John? Is that what you're trying to say? So, sure, he, he, he may very well have said that to Yeshua, and, and, and as an expletive, have been referring to him as his lord and master. As an expletive? <laughs> the, the Old Testament says not to take the Lord's name in vain. Which is exactly what an expletive would do. And Jesus should... This is the Muslim argument. This is the same argument a Muslim makes. Oh, he's just... He's just swearing. He's like, my lord. Oh my god! Like, no. That's blasphemy. That's, ta that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Jesus wouldn't be praising Thomas, doubting Thomas, the way he does... But he'd be rebuking him for taking the Lord's name in vain. <sighs> this can't be your argument. Oh, man. Um, and that would still translate in Adonai and Elohim. But it wouldn't make sense. It would still work. No. Uh, even, you know, just from an agency standpoint, we should probably get to that later on, uh, but, like... Uh, I've seen it argued uh, that the the idea of calling him, like to say saying this to him, 
uh, is not to it's not to call him God directly, um, but at the same time, a little bit, but only in the like in the same way that Moses spoke to the burning bush, which was an angel of the Lord, and, and you know. But Yahweh spoke from the bush, so their their answer to things clearly be calling being called God when when their theology can't deal with it is to be like you know. I know it says that, but that's not really what it means. Like, spoke to it as though it were, it were God in the first person, uh, and so there's there's that. And John is an incredibly mystical book, right? Part of the background of the whole Gospel of John is it is not one of the synoptic Gospels at all, and it's not historical. Like, I, it's not historical. What do you mean? At all. There's almost like if you take the skeleton. Okay, of all of the synoptic gospels and the story of Jesus, right? Let's just take the basic outline of his life. Almost none of that skeleton is in John. So your definition of historical is it has to be a synoptic gospel. It, it, it's historical. It talks about historical events. Is it a historically focused narrative rather than focusing on the spiritual part of Jesus' ministry? Yes. Um, but right from the, in the synoptics, you know him. Uh, a lot of his teachings, a lot of the things that he does, um, they're almost not there. John is like the black sheep of the family. Just it's a completely different set of of record. Uh, it's not multiply attested. It's incredibly mystical. It's really late in its writing, and it doesn't even attempt to be a historical recording of Jesus' life. It seems to be more like. Uh, a, a record of theology, a way of thinking, but written in the way that history was written pretty commonly back then. Um, basically, it's not historical, but it's written in the way that historical writings were. I what? You contradict yourself on my show. A lot of what's said in John that is attributed to as though Jesus said it himself. It's likely he didn't say those things verbatim like that. Okay, Doubting Thomas. <laughs> um, um, but rather from John's perspective, right. that's what he meant to say. And so he records what he... I mean, source? I mean, also we have 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed. Is God gonna lie? <sighs> got out of that. Uh, so what does that mean? Right. And this is... Go ahead. Right. This this is also another one of those instances where John is the only book that records this statement, as far as I'm aware. It is. I mean that that's cool. Uh, Exodus is the only book that records um, uh, Exodus three fourteen uh, or Exodus three. Like, does that mean we should doubt it? Like, dude. Yes. Uh, thank you for answering my question, Seamus. Yeah. So it's. It's, it, this is this is a conversation that apparently none of the other authors of the Gospels were privy to. Um, that they didn't think was important to write down, because they had their reasons for their Gospels. Right? So it's, it is noteworthy in terms of textual criticism. This, this isn't textual criticism. What? Makes it stand out as something that does not fall within the boundaries of multiple attestation. Yeah. That, that's 
they textual crit um it is multiply attested by the manuscript tradition let me let me look at my nestle Holland. um there's no significant textual variant in in this so this passage throughout the manuscript tradition reads the same and that's textual criticism dealing with one passage throughout all its attested elements not <laughs> Textual criticism is not, this gospel says this thing, do the others say it? Okay, we believe it. That's, no. <laughs> That's not textual criticism. Um, I, like, uh, on my, on my um, show, my independent podcast, since studies in the New Testament, from the historian's perspective, strictly speaking, you cannot, you can never say Thomas said this. Because it... What historian? Were they a believing historian? Because uh, they have no qualms about uh, believing, cherry-picking unbelieving historians. Oh, you know, Bart, Bart Ehrman's just so good that you're not going to accept the rest of what Bart Ehrman says because you believe in God. It's simply not, it doesn't meet any of the criteria that you would use as a historian to deem it as history. Um, one, it kind of doesn't fit the context, right? It, I mean, it does fit the context. What? Just contextually speaking, a, a Jew would never say to another Jew uh, that you are God. You're so, so close, you sweet summer child. <laughs> the very gospel where Jesus makes it clear, when, when Jesus says that, put in Abraham Gnesta Ego, I me, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus makes himself out to be God. And Thomas says, my God. And you say, you know, no Jew would say this to another Jew. Of course. You're so close to getting it. John calls him God. Thomas calls him God. Jesus calls himself God. You know why? Because Jesus is God. You're right. This is the, this is the great controversy of who Jesus was. People didn't believe him because of who he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be God, not just the Messiah. They could accept that he was the Messiah. They wanted him to be the Messiah, but they wanted him to be the Messiah that they created in their head. You want Jesus to be the Mashiach that you've created in your head through the lens of historical Judy of, of, of rabbinic Judaism. But that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah who came and died and rose again and will come again and is God incarnate. Please forgive any mouth sounds. I do have food. Uh, that's just not something that would happen. Um, so it contextually doesn't make sense. Um, and actually, there are many Trinitarian uh, early, early Trinitarian. See, it does make sense contextually. <clears throat> because if Jesus is God and Thomas calls him God, that means that the statement that Thomas makes. Jesus' response, have you seen me that you believe? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So that's Jesus then affirming the statement he made. Trinitarian um, commentators who actually make this, uh, they have commentary on this verse and they say explicitly, 
Thomas did not mean to say Jesus was God because Thomas did not yet know of the Trinity. Like, Thomas was... But he heard Jesus' teachings. It... Could it not have clicked? I... Yeah, apolo apologists, by the way, are not always the authority. Um, um, there's plenty of people who try to do apologetics who shouldn't be. Um, either their either their attitude or their their theology, like um, uh, William Lane Craig had. Um, he's a what's it called neo Apollinarian. Um, he has an unorthodox view uh, on an element of the Trinity. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's just because they call themselves Christian, just because they call themselves an apologist, doesn't mean that they're correct. Not aware. So this, even, even though many Trinitarians today use this verse as a proof text, the early Trinitarian commentators were very specific. No, Thomas was not a Trinitarian yet. Oh, I thought you were talking about apologists. I, early, are you talking about apologists or early commentators or? Hmm. Um, so he, he did, this revelation was not yet given to him. This was, you know, an expletive uh, or or some some other. It makes no sense for it to be an expletive. Um, at least with Jesus commending him for for basically taking the Lord's name in vain. It makes no sense. So I just think it's, but, but yeah, just strictly as a historian, you, you can't, you can't say he said this, uh, the criteria of dissimilarity. Well, well, Does... fortunately I'm not strictly a historian and as you can tell, uh, neither was John. Um, I'm also a theologian. Does it fit? It doesn't sound like a Christian wrote it. It absolutely does. Uh, and so it doesn't fit dissimilarity. Um, and then. What? Uh, and so it doesn't fit the similarity. It doesn't uh, fit. Absolutely does. Uh, and it, so it it's, doesn't uh, fit the similarity. It, wait, it, why? The criteria of dissimilarity. Does it fit? It doesn't sound like a Christian wrote it. It absolutely does. Uh, and so it doesn't fit the similarity. John was a Christian. He was a follower of Christ. So what you're saying is, does it sound like a does it sound like a Jew wrote it, or does it sound like a Trinitarian wrote it? If it sounds like a Trinitarian wrote it, it can't be true. Um, it it. it <sighs> um, and then multiple attestation. Does anyone else attest that he said this? No. So you have. The but. <sighs> See, this is this is the problem of inconsistent standards. Um, you have to be able to apply the same standards in other areas. So, how do we how do we believe a lot of what's said in the Old Testament? Because a lot of things said in the Old Testament are only um, attested in the Old Testament. How do we know uh, that God actually said? Uh, you may eat of any tree except for this one in the middle of the garden. You shall not eat from it, for on the day you eat it, you shall, excuse me, you shall die. That's the only place that's said. It's it's only attested in Genesis by the author of Genesis, by Moses. So, ergo, since it's not attested, you have to throw out Genesis. Oh, but you're not going to throw out Genesis. You're not going to be consistent with your standards. 
and I'm sorry, inconsistency, in, in the famous words of James White, inconsistency is the sign of a failed argument. Those top three criteria, it doesn't meet a single one of them. In fact, the, the I am statement, same thing, uh, doesn't meet a single one of the three criteria uh, for historical relevance. So a lot of historians, when it comes to talking about the historical Jesus, completely leave out the book of John. You know, I mean, can you blame him? It was written like 90 years after his life. Actually, I would say that the book of John was written before 70 AD uh, because it references Jerusalem as if it were still standing. Uh, which, you know, I, I have a fondness for my hometown. But if my hometown burnt to the ground, I'm not going to start, I'm not going to keep writing about it as if it is currently standing. I'm going to write about it as if it was destroyed. So. It's the latest gospel. So It is the latest gospel, but I think it was written pre-70 AD. Naturally, every historian, especially secular historians, you can look at it and go, that's barely credible at best. So, you know, they just kind of... I mean, secular historians in Germany used to think that John was written in the 3rd century. Um, so... I, I don't get this constant appeal to secular scholarship. Um, it's it's weird. Um, I'd ignore it, but... Okay. Okay, let's see. I don't want to exhaust all of their stuff, because I, I'm realizing maybe just, maybe just going in the direction of reacting to people saying dumb stuff about the Bible might actually help me um, uh, go on from here with this show, but, um, let's, let's look at this video. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 yeah. was the next one that came up, yeah. and I was, I'm excited about that This plays into that. Okay, let's, let's read it. Allow me to uh, give a reading. <clears throat> I, I do like this passage. This is the hypostatic union passage. <laughs> this is a deity of Christ passage. Um, ah, you know, Philemon is not Philippians, ladies and gentlemen. All right, here we go. Philippians 2, starting at verse 5. Have this attitude of, of, in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the very form of a bondservant, being made in human likeness, uh, and being made in the likeness of men, sorry, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, to the point of death, even the death on a cross. <laughs> For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So I've, I've already talked about this earlier in the program. Let's see what they have to say. Right? So, yeah. Make your own attitude that of Jesus Christ. This is a command we're being given, right? Who, existing in the form of God. Okay. Um, or or making, making God manifest in bodily form. Uh, I'm sorry? What? Let me hear that back. Let me hear that back. Um, or or making making God manifest in bodily form. That's a unique paraphrase. Um, 
<laughs> because um um the the Greek you know, Philippians two six um has en morfe the u upargon being in form God existing. Um, or being in the form of God, existing. Um, I don't, I don't know how that becomes um, okay. Um, or, or making making God manifest in bodily form. <sighs> That's just not how you can render the passage. Um, uh, you. You are doing that anytime that you obey a commandment. <laughs> no, 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 Brad, stop. You, you, you've completely turned around the point um, of Paul by a mistranslation. Let's, let's, let's read it the way he wants us to read it. Um, have the same mind about you that was in Christ. Um, okay, um. Uh, have the same mind about you in Christ, who for making making God manifest in bodily form did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. I I make it make it make sense make it make sense please. Uh, you you are doing that anytime that you obey a commandment. No, you you are one. You are not making God manifest in bodily form anytime you do that. God was made manifest in bodily form. Uh, in fullness once at the incarnation um i times that you obey a commandment god is being made manifest in the flesh that is not god first of all god doesn't have a form Ergo, you can't exist in the form of God. What you have to do is you have to become the form of God. But if God has a, if God does not have a form, then you cannot become the form of God. To to turn your own fool heart back on you. By doing the commandments, right? Uh, no. So that's no. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage, is what this translation said. To be grasped or held onto is what the Greek means, because I I, I actually look at the, the Greek. Um, I do use translations. I also have the Greek, and I do look at it, and I do study Greek. Um, I'm not sure why you're not using an interlinear. Um, says... Um, Seamus, I know that's one of your, your favorite ones to touch on, so I'm going to hand that one over to you. <laughs> um, man, so there's a reason that every translation does not agree on verse 7. So I got a KJV. Maybe... But, okay, on verse 7, okay. Yeah, it's because the Greek's a little interestingly worded. ...himself of no reputation. Oh, excuse me, uh, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, verse 6. That's, uh, robbery is used there. The CS... Which I disagree with on the basis of the context. Um, Paul's point is 
Humility. The passage is humility. What's the greatest form of humility? Jesus, who is the form of God, who is in the form of God, um, making him equal with God. He does not consider equality with God to be held on to, to be grasped, to be held on to, meaning he was and he chose to not. And he instead makes himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant. Morphe theu versus morphe anthropo. Uh, is that the exact word? Um, where does it say? Um, the morphe dulo, sorry, the for, form of a slave um, or servant. consider equality with God as something to be... Oh, wow. Maybe I should save the CSB for last, because that's perfect. <laughs> uh, I forgot the CSB nailed it. I'm actually looking... I'm, I'm looking, looking at the, the TLV now. I'm trying to find it in the TLV. Could you maybe read the Greek, Brad? Seamus? Do you read Greek? Oh. Um. Let me do a little word study. Um, Philipp, Philippians, yeah, Google will figure it out. Philippians is so hard to spell. Philippians 2, 6. I should have specified interlinear. Interlinear. <clears throat> to make it easier on me to know where I'm looking. Um, what's the deal with airline food? Um, existing, um, uk harpagman hagesto tu aene isa theu. Not something to be grasped, uh, considered, uh, considered it to be, it, English and Greek have very different grammar systems. Um, so let's look at harpagman. Because that's, I think that's the thing that they're really, uh, translations are really dealing with here. Um, and so it looks like the exact definition of harpagmos, or harpagman in its various forms, is the act of seizing, or the thing being seized. So its usage then, because it can be used to be the thing being seized, is the spoil, um, or an object of desire. Uh, or or prize. Um, so obviously here it doesn't mean um, he thought it not spoil to be equal with God, or how the King James puts it. Uh, he thought it not robbery. Um, because if it was meant to be that, then I, it would be formed in a way to where it was the subject of the sentence. But the, the subject is equality with God. Um, and the point being made is that... Um, He's not considering equality with God something to be grabbed onto, something to be seized, something to be prized. Um, but humility means, um, though I have this, I am going to act as though I do not. Um, and it's based on this that Paul says, work out your faith with fear and trembling, knowing that it is God who works in you to will and to work. Um... So, although we have salvation, we strive 
through the power of the Holy Spirit towards that final destination. Um, and in the same way, Jesus, who was God, um, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, you know, as the passage says. He humbled himself to the point of dying, of death. Even the most humiliating form of death at the time, the death of the cross. Such a slanderous thing, they would not even normally use the word in writing of crucifixion. But let's hear their continued musings on this, shall we? <clears throat> as soon as YouTube reloads. Hey, come on, work with me here. I'm trying to run a show. Though existing in the form of God, did not consider being equal to God a thing to be grasped. I hear that one a lot. Um, ESV. Now, the biggest discrepancy, I think the reason there is a difference, is because it's the grammar thing. It's Greek and English grammar are just diametrically opposed. They're, they're different. They're different. Um, so trying to read it verbatim, trying to translate it verbatim, it, it does not make sense. So. Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Very similar concept. Yep. Um, but let's go back to the CS, the CSB. <laughs> not gonna, they're not even gonna touch the Greek. I'll, I, CSB will forever be my favorite Did they change it that much between... Sorry? Did they, like, did they really change it that much between the HCSB and the CSB? They're, act, they're, yeah, actually. The Holman Christian Study Bible and the... Uh, actually, um, enough to bother me that I, I don't crazy. like the CSB. I prefer the HCSB. It's that different. Like, it just bothers me. I, there's things I read, like I've memorized. Is it the Christian Study Bible and not? It's it's not the Catholic Study Bible. Um, I need to I need to test this theory. Huh. Okay, so it's the Christian Study Bible. Okay, never mind. Most of the HCSB. And so when I'm trying to think of a verse and I'm looking up through it for the words, um, and then I finally find it in a CSB and it's like not worded the same and I'm like, I don't like it. <laughs> um, yeah, the CSB took a more woke attitude. They also like uh, got rid of, they got gender neutrality and, and stuff like that. So That's why I prefer the NASB 95 text. <clears throat> but um Anyway, so verse 6 in the CSP, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a... Um, Use your words. Did not, okay, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. It's interesting. It's, it's so good. That's that's the way the Greek reads. That, that's really no! What? <laughs> what? It's not. That's not. Harpagmon doesn't. <sighs> good. Um, uh, basically, um, the idea is, you know, he he did not he did not elevate himself to equality with God. The verse is trying. It's saying the opposite. He he didn't remain on that same tier. He stepped down. Um, the king lays aside his crown, kind of like Jasmine going into Agrabah in a peasant's cloak. Um, though she is royal, and she never stops being royal, she adds to herself the appearance of 
the peasant. The king lays aside his crown and throws on a refugee's cloak to enter his kingdom. He's still the king. I'm trying to tell you that he is the perfect image of the word in flesh form, right? The word in flesh form. <laughs> the, the, the morphe uh, lagas en sarcos uh, morphe. It's, that's not what that says. That's an interesting... Interesting, interesting implications you're trying to put on the text. And he, he never used that as something that... He, he would never elevate himself to be equal to God. Except for when he does, apparently. When he, he claims that he existed before Abraham by saying, uh, Ego I me, or uh, Echie. Um, uh, saying that he is the I am that Yahweh calls himself, um, or when he asks the Father to give him that glory he shared with the Father before the world began. Um, Even though he existed in the very form of godliness. And, and so that, that's the right. tip in the con... But... Here's, and here's the problem with other debates on this. You're forgetting that verse 6, that verse 6 happens before his carnation, incarnation. Because it then goes on to say, but instead humbled himself, taking on the very form of a servant and being found in human likeness. It's pre-incarnation. Um, it's missed. Context? The whole takeaway from this whole thing is to say that he never tried to put himself at equal with God. It's but that wouldn't be the idea of humility. Um, this is simply, that would simply be the idea of don't be prideful, don't be haughty like Satan, who elevated himself to the throne of God, or tried to, um, as it says in Isaiah 14. Um, how you have fallen, O Lucifer, morning star, son of the dawn. Um, um, I, I said something redundant. Lucifer would mean the same thing as ha Halel, um, which means morning star. <clears throat> so, hey, this isn't an example of humility, which is what Paul is communicating, is humility. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the okay. likeness of humanity. Uh, and when he had and become, as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, right? So the, the context here is not that he was God and he and he emptied himself from being God to be a man. But that is what it is. It's, it's that he could have been equal with God and he never, he never used that. He never took advantage of it. He could have been? I mean, he was. He was in the very form of God. Um, and do you really theologically believe that something that's not God can actually be equal with God? Or did you just misspeak? Uh, and instead remained or became more of a servant. He emptied himself, um, and... Emptied himself of what? Of what, what did he have to get rid of to become a servant? He never sinned. And, and, and going on from there. Um, if you have more to say on that, I'm actually going to see... 
I, I'm just curious because I have no idea. I wonder what Biblical Unitarian has to say about this. Wow. Yeah, no, I, so I don't have more on that, uh, but I, I do want to note something we skipped over that did get mentioned in the chat um, is pertaining to the Great Commission, right, that we just read earlier. Um, uh, again, it's worth noting, uh, early church historians record that there was a Hebrew original copy of the Gospel of Matthew, and there are certain things that... It, For example exist in the Greek manuscript of the copy of Matthew that, that these early church historians noted did not exist in the original Hebrew copy of Matthew. For example? Um, and one of those is this Great Commission, so far as we know. It's the first I've ever heard of it. <laughs> uh, also, are you saying that the text was corrupted? It's lost? Just lost? I... The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever? Or does it? Um, which also, uh, as I understand, the, um, the Shem Tov Matthew also is absent, this part. Uh, the Shem Tov? It ends at go. That's it. There is no... <laughs> it ends at go. How, how helpful. Um... I'm curious who these historians are. Um, oh, baptizing. Like, not to mention, the Didache restates parts of what we find in the Matthew passage. The how to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I just... I You also just end up with an ethnocentric Jewish uh, gospel account. Um, it's very weird. You know... Making new disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Like, that's, it's just not there. It just ends at go. Um, but uh, getting, getting back to, you know, being in the name of, which still pertains to this passage, um, verse 7 really kind of seals it also where it, it says, okay, in the HCSB it says, Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a slave and taking on the likeness of a man. And when he had come as a man in his external form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. Okay. Now, to empty oneself and come in the form of a slave, that's, that's probably the first thing that needs to be noted there, is that this is indicative of obedience, right? Uh, which, again... This is what it means to actually demonstrate God in physical form. But what did he empty himself of? He didn't have pride, because pride is a sin. What did he empty himself of? Okay, any anytime, any, anybody is capable of doing this. Anytime that you obey a commandment within its context perfectly, you are demonstrating God. You're, you're making God manifest in physical form in that moment. Verse... Verse? I need a verse. Um, and it's also worth noting also uh, that I think even John 1 uh, ties into this, where what we're talking about is the Torah being made flesh. <laughs> Thank you, YouTube, for cutting off right when it got painful. Um, oh, wow. 
Okay, we've gone for about an hour and a half. Um, we're gonna stop that there. Um. <sighs> Guys, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. Um, God has been God from all of eternity. Um, Jesus is identified as God. John 1.1 1, 1. <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with Him in the beginning. All things through Him came to be, and apart from Him came to be nothing that has come to be. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory the glory of the one and only from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has seen the Father at any time. No one has seen God at any time. But the one and only who is at the Father's side has made him known. Jesus is God. <laughs> uh, hopefully this helped you. Um... Hopefully I can get back into the habit of putting out for questions. Because uh, I could use some. <clears throat> I don't have any today. I'm sorry. But Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 12. Jesus spake these things to his disciples, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you on account of Christ. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Go in the peace and love of our God and Savior.